Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We are highlighting adaptations from Season 9 over at our Originals page, thenextreel.com slash originals. That's the site where listeners can purchase the source material for all of our adapted film discussions. We had a big Robin Hood series this season, looking at nine different versions on screen. Many were likely adapted from Howard Pyle's The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, including Douglas Fairbanks in Robin Hood, The Adventures of Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, and the 1991 Robin Hood, and Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. Robin and Marion was specifically based on the ballad, The Jest of Robin Hood. And we really don't have too much to say about Robin and the Seven Hoods. We talked Dead Ringers for our David Cronenberg series adapted from Barry Wood and Jack Geisland's novel, Twins. Have you checked out that show? You know, I haven't, but I've heard great things. Two comedies from our Steve Martin series were adaptations, Pennies from Heaven from the BBC series, and The Lonely Guy from the book by Bruce J. Friedman. The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas was part of our Colin Higgins series, adapted from the Broadway musical. Spike Lee brought us Black Klansman from Ron Stallworth's memoir. And we looked at a trio of John Le Carey adaptations, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, The Little Drummer Girl, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Plus, all three movies in our Agnieszka Holland series were based on books, Europa Europa, In Darkness, and Spore. La Caja Fall and its remake, The Birdcage, both came from Jean Poiré's original play. We also talked about Arsenic and Old Lace and Charade in our Gary Grant series. All of these were based on other material, and it is all available on our Originals page, thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book purchased supports the podcast. Get the full list of adaptations we've covered and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. 
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. All of me is over. So it's time to take out the little fireman. Roger Cobb was a rising young lawyer whose first big case. Guess what I'm going to do? What? I'm going to come back from the dead. Was a basket case. What am I missing here? You see, thanks to His Holiness Bragalaza, my soul is going to leave my body forever and become one with the universe. At which time my soul will enter her body. Ah, good plan. They put her soul in a bowl. But things got out of control. I lost her. What's that? Then it worked. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I can't believe this. I can't even die right. Somebody please tell me this is not happening. We obviously have mutual control over our body. Our body? It's my body. I'm not sharing my body with anyone. Everybody's going to be real disappointed. <laughs> no. Andy, we have reached the end. We've reached the end of our conversation about the uh, fantastic Steve Martin with All of Me, 1984. A little sad. A little sad about that. Well, let's start with that. Let's start by probing some feelings, shall we? How do you let's talk about your sadness? Go with that. Let's dive Go deep. With that. Why are you sad? I, I really do enjoy Steve Martin. He's fun to watch. He's done a lot of uh, movies that I think are worth talking about. And by this point in his career, I feel like he's really starting to rev things up and uh, moving forward pretty nicely. I I think if we were to continue this, uh, well, I mean, we actually have done the very next one, which would be Three Amigos. So we've already talked about that on this very show. But jumping into some of the other stuff that he's done, I mean, there's there's a lot of fun projects that Steve Martin has worked on as an actor, as a writer. Uh, you know, I just I, I think that there's a lot with him that is worth exploring because he does a variety of stuff as we've kind of looked at here. I mean, we've had largely all comedies. Uh, Pennies from Heaven was a little bit of a different spin for him. Uh, But I think over the course of these six films that we've looked at, he's shown a a good bit of range as far as, you know, over-the-top characters, a little more interesting types of stories and everything. And, And here in All of Me, his final collaboration with Carl Reiner, I do think that it's it's starting to feel like a little more uh, mature, you know? And I mean, there's still, so it's kind of a fantasy still. So I mean, it's still some silliness going on in this one. Um, but you look at like Three Amigos is coming up soon, and that's going to be a lot more silly, along with what he does in Little Shop of Horrors. But then he does Roxanne, Planes, Trays, and Automobiles, which have more... Uh, Dirty, rotten scoundrels. Well, that gets a little sillier again. And then Parenthood is very straight, and L.A. Story is a straighter one. Father of the Bride, Grand Canyon. Like, he he is going to go back and forth with the types of films he does. And I think right out of the gate with the six films we've looked at, we can see how this, as an actor, has, he is exploring the types of roles and showing that he has a range. I think that is uh, absolutely true. And I it has been a this has been a particularly gratifying series for me because I feel like more than other series that we've done, I have actually been able to chart the growth. I don't mean like chart the growth, but see the growth of of Steve Martin as a performer. And 
see where his like where his practice has led him. And I am so excited to dive into some of these other movies. Some of these other movies, this is like the 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 key period of Steve Martin, right? I mean, these are his his just really fantastic movies all the way up to, you know, Bowfinger and uh, you know, Spanish Prisoner and Sergeant Bilko. I know you're a big fan of Sergeant Bilko. Okay, so <laughs> Every chart has its dips, but anyhow, I feel like there are just some some um, just fantastic examples of what he is able to do as a performer, as a comedian, uh, and as a writer. In some of these cases, um, in these movies, they're just great. And this has been a series that has like really set the table for for a, a an incredible decades long career. It really has. It's it's nice to see what he can do. And I am glad to have gone and looked at these films because, again, I had only seen a couple of them before we started. Now getting a chance to kind of explore them and look at these early films of uh, his career, I can really see kind of, uh, you know, where he came from and, and you know, how he's grown as a performer. So it's it's been fun looking at these films. Uh, should we should we go through some of the the tropes that we've been talking about with relation to his characters over the last six? I think sh- sure. We may as well start with sex. Right. Can we? <laughs> <laughs> it's been awfully uh, important to him in every single film. It sure has, and in this film. He was off to the. I mean, it was it was pretty good. Like he was, he, he, everything was doing okay. And then, uh, you know, it had to happen. He had to to find his way to it. But here's the thing, and the reason I want to start with sex is because I think sex becomes a bar over which all of these other tropes end up falling in his sophistication as an actor. In this movie. The the slapsticky nature of the the sex sequence and his desire for Victoria Tennant's character and uh, all of the the sort of mayhem that ensues around uh, the two characters living inside of him uh, it it works for me it it acts I find it genuinely funny and charming and uh sort of diabolical and clumsy and all of the right things like his his sex drive in this movie works better than in any of the other films that we've seen him working at so far there's a little more complexity to it because of that yeah. and even at the beginning of the film when he when we, when we first meet him and he's talking to his girlfriend that it's it's not really i i felt like Okay, there's a little more of a maturity with the relationship. Sure, he's struggling with the whole idea of marriage. He can't even say the word, but at least it's a relationship. At least it's not just something that's all about sex. He's not instantly wanting to just jump into the sack with her. So, you know, I appreciated that with uh, with the way that his character began his relationship, and we got to see that. That was nice. And yes, then I think the sex part of the story, uh, the fact that he had Edwina Cutwater controlling half of his body and was having conversations with Lily Tomlin in his head while he was kind of figuring it all out, I think that allowed for the comedy to come through. So it wasn't just about uh, about the sex. And actually, I think Lonely Guy, right before this, he had that, you know, there was a little more of an adult um, aspect of, of, or point of view, I should say, mm-hmm. of sex and kind of it, it wasn't just such a, a silly playful thing like i i got my special purpose you know and stuff like that, <laughs> yeah, that we had just goofy in previous films 
Yeah, this was, there's a little more serious take to it. So I definitely appreciated that here. And because of the character of Edwina, not having ever been in a relationship before and being a virgin, it allowed for kind of a, kind of a nice conversation uh, in, in a way where he kind of talks to her about it and, you know, you know, how, you know, helping her figure out how to fantasize and, and what to do and allowing kind of this thing to happen. I, it, it ended up kind of working in a, in a nice way. I liked it. How great is Lily Tomlin in this character? Just answer me that. Well, Lily Tomlin's just always great, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, we're going to be talking about her again in a few weeks, which will, which will be great. Looking forward to that when we jump into nine to five in our Colin Higgins series, which is next. Right, right. Which was before all of me and which, which I find interesting right. because it's still pretty, pretty early in her, uh, in her career, I guess. I mean, she'd been around for uh, over a decade by the time this film uh, came out. Um, but as a, as a comedian, um, I, I, you know, my memory of her started with nine to five. So as a comic actor in film, and it wasn't until after that, that I started exploring, you know, what she had done on Laugh-In. And, um, you know, that came to me much later, her character work, her extraordinary comic character work. And, um, so it, it's really fun to go back to this movie and see just how broad of a talent she was so early on. And I think her craft meets Steve Martin's craft right at the perfectly right time for them together to be a great on screen, generously uh, on screen couple uh, in this movie. I find their relationship as they come together and as they bicker and then as they come together again, so believable in such an unbelievable construct. Yeah, I'm trying to think where I first ran into her. Probably it was like The Muppet Show or something like that. Oh, yeah, right. You know, to be honest. Um, it's possible this was the first film I saw her in. It's also possible The Incredible Shrinking Woman, which came out a few years before, might have been where it started. I definitely saw her in Big Business. And then from that point forward, quite a number of the films she had been in. And, of course, catching up eventually to her... Uh, a uh, great performance in Nashville that she did with yeah. uh, Robert Altman. Uh, you know, I think she's great and she has a great comedic sensibility. I, I don't feel like I had really explored much. Well, I guess big business. So I, I guess I had seen some of the comedy stuff, but in my head, I, I associate her. It's weirdly, I associate Lily Tomlin a lot with kind of the Robert Altman side of things, which I don't think of as funny, mm-hmm. but I feel like I probably have seen her in more comedies. So it's funny that I associate her more with kind of the the Altman performances, but she really is a funny actress and she's done a lot of really comedic stuff. And working off uh, or opposite Steve Martin, I think is a great pairing, you know, putting the two of these um, comedians together opposite each other as uh, just kind of the two people who are going to be constantly butting heads throughout the film. It was really smart. Uh, Really. I mean, she is the consummate shaken straight character, right? Like she's, I I think about her as, uh, you know, in the movie that wasn't all that great, but she was Jane Hathaway in the Beverly Hillbillies and like her ability to be that sort of straight foil character and then just watch her fall apart when she's confronted by very strange things going on, I think is just, she's just so good at it. That's like a, a quintessential sort of talent of hers. And I think this movie, uh, you kind of get that. She is that, um, the it, this is the fishbowl story for her character arc, right? She's just put in a very strange 
thing, which so great about it is that it's a very strange construct that she was seeking as a character. Like this is exactly what she wanted. It's just the wrong body and and uh, the the perils that come with with that desire, I think, make just such a funny um such a funny set of circumstances for her to play with i then you know we add um well there are a couple of of characters that we want to talk about i think is that we add to the mix the the one that is the most adorable and diabolical is of course my favorite uh terry hoskins played by uh, victoria Tennant. when did you uh fall in love with her I feel like I have seen very few things with her. Looking through her filmography, I feel like there's this, there's, I mean, Flowers in the Attic, but I don't picture her as the performer from Flowers in the Attic, so I don't think of that. But L.A. Story yeah. is where I first really met Victoria Tennant and fell in love with her. The fact that we get her twice with Steve Martin, two this many, mm-hmm. is... uh uh-huh, really exciting. She has a much, uh, I, I think, more robust... Uh, catalog of credits than just those two movies. She's been in a lot more stuff, but uh, it's a lot of TV in the last decade. Um, and uh, Alex and the List, her most recent credit, 2017, I've never heard of. Oh, she did Louder Than Words. This is where she uh, met Steve Martin and they clicked and fell in love, got married a couple years later. Then they did LA Story together and got divorced a few years later after that. <laughs> You know what? It's okay. I'm really happy As with this goes. set, right? This set of two movies. They're adorable. I love them yes. both. And, uh, yes. and and she was great. And I think her turn in the movie is, again, it's believable. It's a, It's got a good setup. I totally saw it coming because who in their right mind would want to do this cockamamie scheme? Uh, and we needed a foil. And she was the perfect one for it. And yet, I still, I was right along with it. It felt earned. Well, that's what I thought made this work is the fact that she agrees to all of this because she thinks it's complete you know, hooey, which, I mean, it sounds like complete hooey. Yeah. You know, you've got this idiotic Swami, and the fact that he can accomplish anything is surprising because his character is played so dumbly. Uh, I, I struggle with him, I think, more than anyone really? else Really? You're film. talking about Praka Lassa, uh, played by Richard Libertini? Uh, Yes. Okay. Yes. I want to hear is all that, about is that. that. His name, yeah, the the Guru Pranka. Yeah, yes, Guru Pranka. Right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'll, we'll come back to him. Okay. Um, it's it's such nonsense that that Edwina has worked out the fact that she will be able to transfer her consciousness from her body when she dies to another living body. I can totally buy into the fact that Terry would say, sure, sign me up, because who's going to believe that, you know? And then the fact that at the end, you know, she realizes, or not at the end, but once she realizes that it really worked and Edwina is now in Roger instead of her, I think it it creates an interesting twist in the story, because all of a sudden now she has to fight to avoid anything happening, and it allows for kind of, uh, you know, more interesting things to happen throughout the story. So I, I, to me, that was a nice um, a nice uh, position for Terry to take at the beginning of the film that I bought into. 
Totally. And and I think you're right. The the set of circumstances that have to come together for her to become the character that has to actually avoid change is really interesting to me, right? That it's right. it's this uh, it's this simple twist and now she just can't be found out. And uh, you know, there are a couple of little like really obvious turns that I actually found delightful when uh you know, she says, On second thought, let's go back to the apartment. Let's wait there. You <laughs> know, when they just said, yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, we have to go here. Uh th- those little little twists and that little kind of cat and mouse uh, game that that she was leading them on i think was it was really funny it was a funny part of that transition uh into the third act now let's talk about praka why don't you like praka i don't mind like these metaphysical kind of crazy characters in films i think that the 80s was a time when they looked at this sort of person as just kind of a a bubbly buffoon who you know couldn't make heads or tails out of anything and here we have this guy who can transfer consciousness from one person to another. But when a phone rings, he thinks it's the toilet uh, because he he accidentally was flushing the toilet. Or well, not accidentally flushing. He was flushing the toilet coincidentally when the phone rings. And so now he thinks when he flushes the toilet, the phone rings. Or when the phone rings, he needs to go flush the toilet. It's just it, it that played very poorly for me. I'm like, this is that 80s sort of silly joke about, you know, you know, these wise people, but they're too dumb to really understand any of this modern technology that I struggled with. And, and you know, he's he's OK when they're in the conversations and er, trying, you know, speaks poorly. People are, you know, Steve Martin in particular is trying to converse with him. Um, that didn't bug me so much. It was mostly all the gags with the toilet. Okay. And you loved that. Book. I feel like he has, well, no. Okay. Of course. Like all the things you're poking at. <laughs> and when you poke at him on a podcast, of course, I'm going to say, yeah, you're right. That's dumb. He should have been fired, <laughs> fired, cut from the sky. <laughs> I want this movie not to exist. Anymore. No, I, uh, I feel like this movie has a lot of earned heart for me because of all the other things that it does well. And frankly, I enjoy the way he bumbles around. Uh, and I love the way he plays this sort of fake. Um, Swami accent and uh, the whole back and bowl bit. I'm all here for it. Back and bowl, you put back and bowl, back and bowl. That yeah. is delightful. And it's something that I quote to this day whenever I put anything into really? a bowl. I do it wow. every time if I'm making cereal <laughs> or waffle batter or something that needs to go back in the bowl. It's back and bowl. And nobody understands around here. Nobody understands, that's, Andy. That's, but it's funny in my heart. And I share your pain in that. Yeah. As somebody who often quotes random lines from completely obscure films, yep, only to have people not have any sense as to what you're saying, I yeah. get it. So, uh, I, yeah, it's not, it's not that part's not great about just my life, but about this movie, it is great. I think he's a, a wonderful sort of. Like he plays that part that Steve Martin had played in The Jerk, right? It's the it's the like absurd comedy foil, right? It's the the far end of the comic spectrum, uh, the slapstick, the lampoon, uh, the the uh, the doofus. Like we need uh, something like that in this movie. Uh, I guess that is a question: Do we need some character like that in this movie uh, to uh, riff off some of the more uh, subtle? bits of comedy and and sobriety well because the fantasy nature of the story calls for it to exist 
you almost need to have somebody like that. Now, I mean, I, I, I just felt like his the comedy bits around him could have been a little stronger as opposed to just being the the completely idiotic foreigner who just doesn't understand anything that's going on. Yeah. And, you know, maybe in 1984, there hadn't been a ton of that in films yet, so it wasn't quite so played out but by now like rewatching it i'm like oh this old trip well, and it, it gets it, silly real you quick. know i feel like we've talked uh, what was it we talked about and somebody i think it was nick in the chat room who pointed this out that that we didn't talk much about the the sort of self-help guru craze that swept through the 70s and 80s oh, with the brood, it was with right. the brood and that was when we we're doing our brood episode and, yeah. and i you know i mean i i don't know about you man but i lived in the neighborhood in the 80s where all of the stay-at-home moms housewives had gurus who came over and were either doing tai chi or some sort of transcendental meditation and giving them their own mantras and all of the stuff it was happening in homes like the the fact that this guy existed uh in this movie to lampoon that craze where here's this this you know woman who is stuck in her house she is bedridden she can't get she has these health problems but she she has her guru who's going to come help her uh get out of these problems is uh, to me that was funny i mean that was that was an extension of what i grew up with in the north end of the old north end of colorado springs i i mean i didn't see a lot of that but uh you know i I believe that it existed. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying it didn't. I'm just saying that the way that they portrayed him was a little a little strong. But yes, I think for 1984, it probably played better. Let's. Can you just tell me what you think of Richard Libertini as an actor? Oh, I, I really enjoy him. I mean, looking through his credits, it, he's not one of those uh, actors who's in like lead roles in tons of things. But seeing him in Fletch, the two Fletch movies, I think he's great as Fletch's boss. You know, I, I think he's one of those guys who's got kind of a presence that works well in cinema. I do, too. He's one of those face guys like you. You just you know him. Yeah, exactly. you just know him. Yep. He's super fun. Uh, OK, same thing with uh, Madeline Smith. Um, who I very much recognized as soon as she pops up. She plays the original girlfriend. Um, and she was one of those faces. That I'm like, oh, I totally recognize her as a face. And we actually, she was in 2010. Right. We saw her in that when we talked about that. I can't remember if we called her out in that particular film. Interestingly, she hardly was in anything. She worked in film and TV from 80 to 94 and then retired from the business. So hasn't done anything since. She was, however, in one episode of the Casablanca TV series. Didn't know that existed. And now I do in 1983. So imagine that. Uh, Funny Farm. Oh, yeah. Funny Funny Farm Farm is the other one that I. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Urban Cowboy. I haven't seen Urban Cowboy, but. The the other. I'm actually surprised that you went with Madeline Smith as the other face when we have Selma Diamond in this movie. What a voice. As soon as she pops on, I'm like, oh, it's her. I always loved her. And mainly it was because of Night Court. Oh, of course. That's exactly yeah, what she it. was. She's, the bailiff. Uh, she's so good. <laughs> she's so good. Um, and, and she also doesn't have that many credits, uh, apart no, from, of no. course, an extensive uh, run on uh, Night Court. But she has a voice that you just... I mean, you can't miss uh, of a certain era. I, you know, my kids don't recognize it, but my goodness, uh, it is, it is just perfect. And she's also in 
Um, she was in Nine to Five, the TV series, of all things. Yeah, she started working in the 60s, and this was actually her last feature film. I think she did a TV project uh, after this, um, and maybe some more of Night Court, but otherwise, uh, this was the last uh, feature film that she would appear in, sadly. Oh, and My Favorite Year, she appeared in that as the, uh, she was the wardrobe mistress, mistress in that, so... This was one of those movies with a few a few faces to recognize. Dana Elkar was another face that uh, you definitely Truly. recognize from all of this. And, uh, you know, MacGyver was a, a show I loved growing up and seeing him in here uh, was great because uh, he was always great in MacGyver. Although here he's a little more of a uh, rapscallion, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And he pops in in The Sting. We talked about him in The Sting. And, uh, gosh, we talked about him and anything else. I think that might be it. Yeah. 2010. He was also in 2010. Right. He was the Russian in the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. of course. I uh, want to talk a little bit about Jason Bernard. Uh, mm -hmm. who, another, another face that's like, oh. Yeah, this is like, I this is a great too. game or a great movie for like drinking dominoes of faces. Like this is, this is a <laughs> perfect movie for that. All of these faces are super recognizable. Uh, but Jason Bernard is one of them. Um, his, uh, it's, it's funny. I was just looking at his IMDb top four. Uh, uh -huh. I, I'm sure you're, you're probably looking at the page right now. Are you? Are you? I'm not. I'm really, so we on, could do uh, it. Wikipedia. Could we yeah, do, do it? it? All right, let's do it. So tell me, what do you think his top four are? Oh, it's going to be hard. Um, 95 credits. And he's a face guy. Yeah, he's a face guy. So I'm not going to know what he's been in. Um, I'm cheating a little bit. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page to see all That's of his films. perfectly fair. So now I can just say the four that I think that, you know, he'll be in. Yeah. I'm going to say, oh, he was in The Facts of Life once. I don't think that's one of them. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to say Liar Liar, which was his final film role. Nailed it. That's one. I, I'm going to say, uh, oh, no, I doubt that because he was uncredited. Oh, should I say Blue Thunder? I don't know. War Games. Oh, what is he known for? Um, Gosh, I can't picture him in a lot of these, and I feel like I need to be able to picture him to say yes. Um, I am going to say, this is hard. I'm going to say Starman? No. Oh, I'm going to say... I'm just giving you four guesses. That's how we're going to play this game. I know. That's fine. <laughs> War Games? Yes. And uh, I will say Blue Thunder. No. So you're two for All four. Right. The other two are While You Were Sleeping, 1995. Uh, oh, okay. It, yeah, and I see that. Here. I'm a little bit surprised you didn't see your man two by four in No Way Out and think, of course, that's going to be the other one. He I didn't even see that. On Major the list here. Donovan in 1987 in No Way Out with Kevin okay. Costner. Uh, it, it's he is just a, one okay. of those fascinating sets of uh, uh, credits and wonderful face wonderful voice and in this movie he plays uh the blind saxophonist uh and i just he's fantastic he is one of those guys who just does a good job in those small roles and uh always has always did you know it worked great for him so yeah i had a great time seeing him in this i, think, I feel like we we started going into the cast and we've missed some points 
We did, but it's good to just kind of get that out of the way. So that's well, fine. That's what we're, we're, we're all about cleaning We would have talked house. about it eventually. Yeah. So, oh, this is just a random tidbit, though. Lily Tomlin was born the day World War II started, and Steve Martin was born the day World War II ended. <gasps> just a just a little note for Fancy you. Fancy that. All right. All right. So we don't know, like the idiot Swami. Check. We need to talk more about Terry. Before we talk about Terry, let's talk about the rules for what happens in this film. How well do they work for you? We've got this whole thing where he gets hit on the head by this bucket. You got to buy into the fact that her consciousness is in it and now she controls the right half of his body. Right. How does it work for you? Because the rules are kind of a little bit all over the place as far as when um, he can think talk to her, when he has to talk and to, you know, to respond to her. Um, and when she kind of controls him and talks for him, and, uh, you know, just kind of how all of that works. Uh, does that does that work for you? Do you feel like that the rules are a little wishy-washy as far as when they're doing what things? Okay, so let's say I agree with you that they are wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. Let's just suppose. I like the supposition. How much, on a scale of 1 to 10... I know what you're going Should to. I? Go ahead. Should I? Would you like to finish? <laughs> should I care? There you go. God, we've been doing this so long, we finish each other's senses. That's right. <laughs> uh, sandwiches, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, okay, so I, you, I, do, I, I do understand what you're talking about. And uh, in the twilight hours of, after watching the movie, I can think, okay, yeah, I guess that's not quite right. But uh, I, I'm never thinking about it that hard. This movie does not... For me, it does not present me any opportunities to take me out of the movie enough to think about the rules and where they are broken. And I think that is a great gift of this movie. Its comedy is so light and charming that it doesn't it it doesn't give me an opportunity to to sweat it. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it was a test question. Oh, man, I feel <laughs> very nervous. You passed. You passed. No, it's but it's. I think that you're right. It's it's a little wishy washy as far as when they're talking physically speaking, when they're thinking to each other. Um, but it's okay because it ends up building it in a way where they kind of can do either. They use both of them. Um, they use it in a way where it ends up being effective. And I always believe, and this is a huge thing that makes this film work, I always believe in Steve Martin's performance that he is possessed uh, in half by this woman because he is brilliant in the way that he moves his body, uh, particularly the female half of it, and reacts to himself. Like, just, it, it really floors me, like, that this performance didn't get more notice for him because he is really just doing so much uh, with this, uh, with all the little nuances that he has to do. And I think that's why it ends up working. And you end up not caring that there's some kind of flexibility in the way that, you know, everything is happening between these two because he makes you feel like it's all possible. Yes. And and I think you're absolutely right. And I think the the bits 
the physical bits that you notice with Steve Martin are the physical bits that are really, really big, right? The, I think when he first comes out of the, um, when he first gets hit on the head with the ball, uh, and he's d- dragging himself to the tree and to the door, and it, there is this moment where he's doing this thing with half his body pulling him one way and the other half dragging him the other, that is, that I really am looking for ropes. I feel like he's being, literally he has like <laughs> invisible ropes that are tied to him dragging him. His, his, just his movement is so spot on believable. But it really, to your point, it's the, the, uh, feminization of his, like his hand and his arm. And when he touches things just the right way, he's doing it with a delicacy on just half his body that is, it surprises me every time and you kind of have to look for it but when you do you can't unsee it right it is his performance is is so nuanced and uh, it just makes it that much funnier and it goes back and forth from being nuanced to being over the top but always over the top in the right ways like when all of a sudden edwina like he's sleeping in his half of the body and she's controlling the entire body in court and is trying to act like a man and at first she's being too feminine and then she's trying to be masculine and it's over the top because she has no idea how to do it and it plays so well it's just so perfect the way that it's it's all happening and you buy that it's a woman controlling steve martin's body not that it's steve martin acting it out it's 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 that good now, what about when they're seeing each other? This really, I, it bothered me the most when he was shaving because he can't see himself anymore when he shaves. He has to shave his face, looking at her face, imagining what he's shaving on his own face okay. and using her to say, okay, stick your tongue out, tighten that cheek there. But it's like, yeah, but you're not seeing, you can't even see the shaving cream to see if you got all the shaving cream off. I'm not going to lie to you, Andy. You just broke me a little bit. I've never made that connection. <laughs> <laughs> that is totally I swear to God that's totally new to me <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. it's 30, 34 years to where we are <laughs> I've, never, I've never made that connection that when he says can you go like this and she sticks his tongue in the cheek that he actually couldn't see himself oh my god I feel like this is a different movie did we watch the same movie <laughs> But again, you end up buying into it because you've already bought into so much more with the film. So the film, it's one of those things where I still struggle with the fact that he's shaving but can't see what he's doing. But still, I've already kind of committed to all of the stuff that's going on. So I end up saying, you know what? They already earned it. I will let It, it slide. Absolutely. That I will agree. And uh, I'm moving on. But it does make me <laughs> rethink the uh, the bathroom scene where she says, do you want me to take it out or do you want me to tap it? And he says, yes. And now I'm wondering, what does she see from her perspective when she looks down out of the mirror? And what does he see? What Like, I don't. Now well, I'm she's broken. not looking. She's not looking out of the mirror. No, I know, she, but I know it's. I know, but you get. Please tell me you get what I'm saying. Like he's. It's a vision yes. of him looking down. But yes. What does he but see? Right. And, is she seeing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Like does she see? Well, I, yeah. I don't know. That's that's a weird question. Is she seeing herself when she's walking around, or does she see? Yeah. Him. Right. Yeah, it's, that's right. Mirrors are terrible for this movie. That's They yeah. really are. This is the central philosophical question of all of me, is what do you <laughs> see when you yourself are looking at yourself out of a mirror? 
And then it's funny because at the end when he's like pining for her and he's looking every time he sees a mirror, is she in there? It's yeah. like <laughs> now oh, now I have to see him again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way whenever I shave my beard. I'm like, oh, grow it back. It's oh, different. It's a different yeah. guy. I don't like that guy. All right. Um we, we can't, I can't talk about this anymore. It hurts too much. All right, back to Terry then. So, so yes. Terry, yeah. uh, Terry and her whole plan. Yeah. How does it, okay, do you, do you, does it, is, so she's the antagonist of the film, as we learn later in the film. Does it work? Do you find that surprise kind of pops up okay? Or when it happens, does it go, oh, that's kind of, or is it like, well, this is the obvious 80s way to play this? Or well, that was, that no, you, you just hit it. It's the the second, third, last one that you just said. Yeah. yeah. Because it's a it's the 80s and this is what we were doing. And this, I think, is largely what we still do. It, it, you know, if we had a sure. chance, sure. Um, this is kind of how it would play out. And so I think if you're um, if you're awake in movies, you're going to have seen this trope before and uh, the betrayal of the family. And it's. Uh, fine uh it it i buy it because of the way they use the tools and i buy it because she becomes an a um uh the uh, kind of the anarchist of her own family right the way she starts treating her father and the like all of those things work to build the this sort of tapestry of a character that i just genuinely don't like but i'm so conflicted because she's so adorable and i wanted to date her for so long and now I, now she's mean. And so that that like it gets me bought in emotionally. OK, so to you're that telling point, you're telling me I think you're about to tell me structurally you had quibbles. Did you have quibbles? No, I, I actually agree with you. I think that it is kind of what you expect of the era and it plays nicely. It plays fine. I actually have no issues with it. Um, but my my real question is. Because of the way that the story played out, did it feel like uh, Carl Reiner and and uh, Steve Martin coming into this project, uh, which weirdly, I should point out, was written. It was based on an unpublished novel by Ed Davis and uh, written by or which Henry Olek adapted it. And then Phil Alden Robinson, who we've talked about in the director capacity before, wrote the screenplay. Neither Reiner nor Martin touched this script but it feels very similar to a film that he the, that they previously worked on together, The Man with Two Brains, where you have this antagonistic woman who is, uh, you know, there's an antagonistic woman and then there's a, a woman with no body. And the way that the film ends is the antagonistic woman dies, essentially, and the woman with no body ends up in that body. And then Steve Martin is then able to love that person in the great body with the personality that he likes. <laughs> yeah, right. Is that weird that he, it's like the exact same way that the film plays out. And and that was my question really about Terry and the way that the film ends. It's like, it feels like kind of a rehash of that other kind of uh, fantasy film that we watched with Steve Martin. Um, although the films feel totally different, but that, that element feels very similar. Did, that, did it bother you at all? No, it didn't bother me. And until you brought it up, I hadn't been thinking about it. 
Interesting. Honest to God, really? I, it, it didn't. I, it, and I think you said it. The movies feel so different. Yeah, right. Uh, and they use the tools in such a different way that I feel like I, this movie is able to move past it. But it's remarkable the similarities now that you bring it up. <laughs> and once again, I feel a little bit like I'm trapped in a mirror and I'm looking out <laughs> at the little fireman, wondering how did I get here, right? <laughs> Well, I'm here to break you. That's uh, wow. that's clearly what the show's all I, about. Well, I will tell you if this is if this is anything for in in, in my respect. If we were to take that as um, you, you know that that these things are somehow spiritually connected, uh, it, it does feel to me like this is an improvement over the original. Right? This is it's just a better movie uh, in in so many ways. Different, very different movie, very different use of the tools but a, a much more sort of satisfying example. And it feels like, hey, good, at least they got the practice because that uh, Man with Two Brains was fine. This is this is a better experience for me. I really liked The Man with Two Brains. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I I think both of them like and, and that's, I think, the magic of the these two films is that they yes, they very much have kind of that same thing happening with the antagonistic female character at the end of the film. But like you said, the way the stories play out and the way that I believe the characters in the context of the stories in which they appear, I totally don't feel that the similarities are there. I feel like it's two totally different films, despite the similarities. And I think that's really kind of the success that Martin and Reiner have with this film coming after Two Brains is it has those similarities, but it never feels like they're just ripping it off. And I i mean, I got to give them major kudos for doing that, because in such a fantastical sort of story to have that happen, it's not something that you instantly go to. So I think that's really, uh, you know, uh, commendable for them to pull it off in such a strong way. We got to can we go back to the sex just for a second? Yes. It, More does sex. This... That's, that's what the <laughs> listeners want. That's right. <laughs> That's why they turn to the next reel. That's for sure. Does it? Does this count as a particularly uh, a a woke sexual experience? Was this a like? Was this a? Does this count as like a three way? What they had? If he counts as two people, and they end up having sex with Victoria, maybe this movie was. This movie was. Wildly progressive in some very strange ways. <laughs> it was <laughs> right in a weird way. It ends up being kind of a, a, a five way because she's picturing Clark Gable, and so so uh, so she's Andy, kind of having her own thing, and then the and then he ends up having his own thing with the Clark Gable thing. It's like it, it's just everybody's in, get in there enjoying it. <laughs> it's very progressive. Okay. I think that's I think that's the uh, that's how you have to introduce this film. Anyway, oh, have you seen that great that great Steve Martin film with the five way? Yes. Oh, all of me. Yes. All of me. All of them. All of them. Uh, it all wraps up in an adorable, um, a, a adorable final sort of experience between the two of them. And I love the way they actually demonstrate it, showing them, you know, who who's who. Who's actually dancing with whom? It's a great moment. The the I mean, it's one of those great shots in a film where it starts on uh, Martin 
dancing with uh, with Edwina now in Terry's body, and Terry's saying, "I don't know how to dance. I've never danced." And he's just like, "That's fine. Just stand on my feet." It's super adorable. He's kind of showing her how to dance, and then as they're dancing, and it's getting a little bigger in the style of dance. The camera just gently pans over and g- lands on a mirror in which you see Martin now dancing with Lily Tomlin, just the two of them having the time of their life. And you watch the credits through that dance scene. It is adorable and is just, it's perfect. It is such a great way to end this film. Loved it. Yes, all the way through. All the, all the, all the way through. So have you heard of King's Road Entertainment, Pete? I haven't, Andy. King's Road Entertainment uh, was the production company formed by Stephen J. Friedman, a producer who actually started in the, uh, well, he he acquired, he was hoping to be a producer. And so he acquired the film rights to a novel you may have heard of from 1966 called The Last Picture Show, written by Larry McMurtry. Have you heard of that? I have heard of that. Yes. So he got that made. The film was nominated for a whole bunch of Oscars. And then he just kind of kind of continued on producing more projects. And eventually he decided to form his own uh, production company named uh, King's Road Entertainment, named after the road on which he lived. And he was one of the first independent film producers to raise uh, a lot of film funding through a publicly traded company. This film or this company was formed in 1984, and All of Me was the first film produced through Kings Road Entertainment. And he <laughs> would go on to do projects all the way up through Mother, the 1996 Albert Brooks Debbie Reynolds one, not the more recent uh, Jerry Aronofsky <laughs> version. Um, he did the the comedy Mother, and uh, that was sadly his last film because he died uh, a little bit after that. Sadly, at the young age of 59. But uh, yeah, this was kind of the start of his company. And uh, he would go on to do stuff like uh, Creator, Enemy Mine, Touch and Go, The Big Easy, Morgan Stewart's Coming Home, The Night Before, There Goes the Neighborhood, and Mother. I've seen a couple of those and like them quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Enemy Mine is why, one that's why, always stuck with me. Why'd they stop? Uh, why do you, why did it doesn't exist anymore? Who bought it? Well, it died when he died. It was his company. And so the films that he did, like they, like this was, uh, you know, Universal was distributing this. And then I think Universal has, I don't know how it works. I think they have some sort of a distribution deal with, um, with Lionsgate because the version I watched had the Lionsgate logo in the front of it. Me too. Lionsgate. Talk about an auspicious company. (laughs) Lionsgate and Trimark was another logo at the front of mine and Trimark, they were putting stuff like this out in the they were the ones who released the dvd so lion so universal probably had the distribution releasing it through Lionsgate, who hired trimark to do the dvd distribution so it's you know these crazy chains that these things end up couple of points of production we have richard h klein behind the camera richard h klein uh he's got some credits and stamina at least he did until he passed away. We've talked about him on the show a number of times. Uh, we talked about the Andromeda Strain. Uh, we talked about, uh, well, other shows in this very series. We really should talk about him because of Tom Hanks. He did The Man with Run Red Shoes. Shoe, and that's been kind of a thing. Um, I don't think he did anything else Howard, in this Howard series. The just Duck. this film, yeah. Howard the Duck, though. Yeah, Howard the Duck. My stepbrother so. is an alien. 
important films around these parts. Important big films. Yeah. Double impact. Don't yeah, even start. 56 go. credits. Uh, and so hey, that he was did Rich Battle Klein. for the Planet of the Apes way back when. Yes, he we did. We talked about that on the show. A uh, lot of good camera work. I, you know, this this movie does not stand out to me as a particularly camera hungry film. But I will say, and this is something that we haven't discussed, like during the mirror shots, a lot of times they were doing the whole trick where it, there would be nothing there and it would be another set behind it yeah. that would match the set. And Martin and Tomlin would just kind of match movements as they would kind of come in and, and do their scenes together. So that obviously requires a little more trick lighting to kind of light them both well. And I think they did a good job there. And then there were some obvious times where it was a, uh, you know, a mat put over a piece of... Uh, mirror. And, uh, you know, I, those sometimes didn't look quite as good, but it's, it's early in the technology and I think they did fine. And I think in context of some of the complexities that Klein had to deal with in lighting, some of that sort of stuff, I think he did a good job. Now, Bud Mullen, uh, did the editing and we had some problems with some of Mullen's editing work before. I did not notice any of those here. Yeah, this is the, he's done all the films that Martin has done with Reiner, the jerk, dead men don't wear plaid. The, and the man with two brains and this we did have problems with the man with two brains there was some some choppy editing in there that made it a little more frustrating and uh i but i think we kind of attributed that to maybe it was just the script maybe it was the the pacing at which they were forced to kind of do it we don't know but we didn't notice it in the jerk or dumb and don't wear plaid and i certainly didn't notice it here so i i think you're right i feel like Whatever it was that was happening during The Man with Two Brains, it must have just been other issues, because I think Bud Mullen does a fine job here. Absolutely. Uh, how did it stand in the uh, sequels and remakes category, Andy? When am I going to see The Rest of Me? Well, <laughs> The Rest of Me. Uh, but surprisingly, DreamWorks was planning on doing a remake of it as of 2012 with uh, Abby Cohn and Mark Silverstein, Silverstein writing, John Davis producing. That was uh, that was a while ago, you know, seven years, no news. I think that we can pretty much safely say that it's completely fizzled out. Um, interestingly, though, a few years later, NBC was talking about doing a TV series of this. Um, and I think that that never happened. Betsy Thomas was going to be the showrunner on it. And uh, again, four years down the road, nothing's happened. I think we can safely say all of me is uh, is not moving forward in any of those capacities. Although it seems like something that people would still enjoy. So it is. It's the kind of story that's just ripe for a remake or a reboot. It just feels like it. Watch it could it could be on, uh, you know, it, it's an Amazon Prime thing. It would be who'd you cast in it? <laughs> Ana de Armas, the Rock, and the Ana Rock, de Armas. and Ana de and Armas. the Rock. Yes, <laughs> there it is. That's who I would do, and that's absolutely. There would be a lot Dwayne more Johnson. just lifting of things and monologuing, but that's okay. I'm there for. I it. want to hear Dwayne Johnson. I can't go in there. That's the men's room. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee his back is not as hairy as Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> to see the rock looking down take out the little fireman <laughs> i mean come on oh, this stuff a, writes itself it's, it's already been written it's a winner uh, yes indeed okay how to do at award season 
This film did get uh, nominated, uh, two wins, two other nominations at the Golden Globes. Both Lily Tomlin and Steve Martin were nominated in their um, categories for Best Performer in a Comedy or Musical. Lily Tomlin, unfortunately, lost to Kathleen Turner in Romancing the Stone. I have a hard time arguing that. I love Romancing the Stone and think uh, that makes sense to me. Steve Martin, on the other hand, he lost to Dudley Moore from Mickey and Maude. That is a strange one for me because I think Steve Martin is such at the top of his game here. What he does with his performance is beyond anything that Dudley Moore did in that film. And I mean, Dudley Moore was fine in his 80s comedies. He really was. But I think Steve Martin owned it here. Now, this is a tricky category because he was also up against Bill Murray in Ghostbusters, Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop, and Robin Williams, not in a film that I probably would have uh, said would win, but Moscow on the Hudson. That's a pretty, pretty thick category of top-notch comedy. And uh, I still would argue Steve Martin, for me, is the best of all of them. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, that's that uh, on rewatch. And I mean, I've uh, it's been a long time since I've seen Moscow on the Hudson. A very long time. Yeah. But uh, and and equally uh, Dudley Moore. But we just watched some clips before we started recording. And, and I think that's that was enough. Yeah, that was all for I me to, to confirm that that's I don't need to see that movie. Luckily, Steve Martin did win at the National Society of Film Critics Awards and the New York Film Critics Circle Awards uh, for Best Actor. So at least he did get a couple awards out of this one. How, did, how about the box office? Did it make any money? Well, for Reiner's and Martin's fourth and final collaboration, it was another one with no budget info anywhere that I could find, unfortunately. But at least we know that this one was a hit. The movie did open September 21st, 1984, opposite The Evil That Men Do, and until September, as well as the limited releases of Amadeus, Places in the Heart, The River Rat, and Windy City. All of Me opened big and is the film that knocked Ghostbusters from its perch in the number one spot where it had been sitting for 15 straight weeks. And then it held on to that spot for two more weeks. So uh, so All of Me is the one that kind of knocked it off its throne. This movie did go on to make $36.4 million at the box office, which is $89.5 million in today's dollars. All told, it is a handsome sum for the film. It's because of my mom. <laughs> and... I, I mean, you know, like seriously, Ghostbusters was not a movie that she was all that keen about seeing in the theater, but this one absolutely was. And yeah. I think that this is just the kind of of kind of counter programming comedy that uh, that just brought out a different audience. There is a or, or, although arguably like at 15 weeks is it's about time for that to take. Right. Yeah, it had but been quite still, a while. It had been quite yeah. a while. There is a possibility that I did see this in the theaters. I can't 100% confirm that because it was still uh, rated R when it came out. So I think that there is a likelihood that I did not get to go see it. But it didn't seem like a... Oh, sorry, this was PG. I don't know why I was thinking this is R. Because so many of his others were R. So yeah, I feel like I might. this might have been... One that I actually saw, my first Steve Martin film in a theater. I just have so many of his moments so vividly like burned into my brain of the way he's acting. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I this is a good one. I really, really liked this film. Well, I'm kind of excited to see where we go here uh, when we take it to the mat. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all of the movies that we've talked about on this show. If you tap on the word... Flick chart in the show notes in your in your in your podcast app of choice. It should take you straight to this movie where you can add it to your catalog and see how it stacks up against ours. 
First up, we have all of me or scanners. Oh, all man, of me. I really loved scanners. All of me. I let me protect you from you. All of me. I know. Scanners also. I'm with you. It they, hurts. You you don't like scanners. You hated it. I will say all of me though. <laughs> Do you see I'm trying to gaslight you? I know just you a totally bit. were. I'm like, did he really like it? Listen to you. Now, had we hit the brood, Andy, we would have trouble. <laughs> All right. The little Martin on Martin action. All of me or the man with two brains. All of me. I really liked the man with two brains, Pete. You're allowed to. I'm going to say all of me. Yep. All of me or Rocky. Rocky. Andy. I got to go with Rocky. All of me or no country for old men. I definitely have to say no country for old men. No country. All of me or Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty, please. Zero Dark Thirty. All of me or Predestination. Predestination, please. Predestination. All of me or Fargo. Fargo, <sighs> Andy, for sure. Really? Flick chart, really? Fargo. All of me or Raise the Red Lantern. Oh, Raise the Red Lantern. Raise the Red Lantern. We've kind of hit this wall of really yeah. great films. All yeah. of me are Dead Ringers. I could be swayed. I really like Dead Ringers. I also really like All of Me. Um, I'm going to say All Such of a, Me. That's actually. astute criticism. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We've really <laughs> hit the bottom of the barrel. I, uh, I'll i go with you on All of Me, but I also really liked this is, uh, it's it's a pairing I could have gone either way on. I know, you know I know. On any given day, I, I could be swayed pretty easily. Well, that yeah. puts all of me in spot 107 on our chart. 107 out of 431 films, that gives it at about 75% on our chart, or four out of five stars. Well, I didn't even have flick chart open, Andy, so you have to go first. How to do on your personal uh, ranking? This was one of those films that was really low on my chart for some reason, because I just hadn't seen it in so long. And I think that it just kind of, one of the, you know, it fell pretty low without me really paying attention to it. It was at 2794 out of 4254. I re-ranked it. And unfortunately, it was running, like, I need to do some re-ranking or something, because it was running into a lot of really good films. And it only jumped up to 2261 on my chart, which is a 47%, which is, in my opinion, much too low for the film. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It, it was in exactly the same situation for me. It was very, very low. I don't even remember where it was, but it was, I think it was uh, over a thousand. And uh, so I re-ranked it and it ran into a number of very challenging walls uh, and it ended up at 419 out of 1420, uh, which puts it at 70%. And that feels still uh, too low and so i blame flickchart and by extension probably you and so <laughs> if i'm to do that then if i'm to go by the algorithm here at uh, flickchart moving over to letterbox.com slash the next reel that says this should be a three and a half star movie now andy when i say three and a half stars that uh, makes my throat tense up that that doesn't <laughs> feel right it feels wrong the question is, how wrong is it? Mm. That is the question for the class today. And I think it is a question of possibly a full star. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Four and a half, yeah. huh? That's where, I'm, that's where I'm leaning. Why? What are you? Where are you? I walked into this conversation at a four out of five. I feel like I 
I may have gone up to a four and a half, but I also feel a little uncomfortable with that. So I feel like I what? should leave it at tell, four. Tell me, stars. Andy, what makes you feel uncomfortable about that? <laughs> well, the Pete that's in half of my body right now wants to give it a four and a half. <laughs> and the Andy that's in the other half of my body says, no, just has leave some, it at four. Does he it's have fine. some quibbles? Leave it at four. It's fine. I'm I'm fine uh, being the uh, the outlier here. I feel like I had just a great time with this movie, and frankly, I cannot wait to watch it with the rest of the family, so they too can say "beg and bowl" all the time. Yeah, now now all that right, you said that be. with the Swami, and I'm like, you know, what, four is right. Four is the right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Swami. Yeah. <laughs> oh great! Thanks for convincing me of that. Well, that was uh, that played out horribly for me. Uh, where? <laughs> Where do we go from here now that we have finished our illustrious Steve Martin series? This is going to be a fun one. We are going to be uh, moving to a different writer-director. We're going to be looking at Colin Higgins. Do you know much about Colin Higgins? Well, I know he's done some movies that I like a lot. He has. He's an Australian-American writer, actor, director, producer. And uh, we're going to be looking at five of his films, I believe. We're going to be looking at uh, some of the early ones that he wrote, Harold and Maude, Silver Streak, and Foul Play, uh, which is the first one that he also directed. And then we'll also look at 9 to 5 and The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, both of which he wrote and directed. So it, uh, it'll be fun. It'll be, films, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about who Collins Higgins, Colin Higgins is, his story uh, when we start the series, so we can learn more about who this person is we're going to be chronicling. Now, Andy, as we talk about all of this, it is right now, and I, I should say to you out loud, to your face, Merry Christmas, because that was yesterday. Hey. As we record this, so... Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Uh, I I hope you're feeling good. My spirits are bright. What happens immediately after our Colin Higgins series? It's going to be our Guilty Pleasure series. Are you so excited? What? I am shocked. Shocked and awed that we're coming. Really? You mean we get to do a Guilty Pleasure series again? Andy, I know you've been really waiting for this. I know how excited you must be. Yes, yes, you who uh, sneak it onto the schedule. I'm like, oh, I guess Pete has something he really wants to talk about. Some, Andy, I am uh, a Prince movie. I exist to right wrongs on our catalog. But my question is do you know what your guilty pleasure is going to be yet? I don't. So wh- that by extension means that next week when we start Colin Higgins, we need to announce our guilty pleasure. You have what? a week, you have no, seven days. No. No. Yeah. Why do we announce yeah. it at the beginning? We announce it at the end when it's about to start. No, yeah, because we got to give people enough time to get people. The people have to have time, Andy, to get the movies. Ugh, you're a terrible person. Yeah, figure it out. You have seven days. Clock is ticking, man. Seven Clock days. is ticking. Uh huh. Yeah. You're, you're, you're brutal. Yeah. That's right. You have it. It's clicking down as a, it's a tattoo on your arm. Don't look now. But just like it's there, it's ticking down seven days. Okay, okay. Hey, I forgot to say this about Steve Martin. Let me jump back to our actual show real quick. Steve Martin said about this film, he said, my mature film career started with all of me and ends with L.A. Story. There you go. We'll end the show on that. That sounds about right. That sounds about, (laughs) that's on brand. I would say his mature film career continued a little past L.A. Story. Yeah. But uh, whatever. All right. When the movie ends. Our conversation begins.
Amazon giveth, Andrew. <laughs> Amazon sometimes doeth. <laughs> Amazon sometimes doeth. What do you, this is, uh, I didn't go with Amazon. Uh, I gave up on them because all the negative reviews were just about the quality of the disc. And I was disappointed. So I went, uh, I actually went high. Uh, but I'm over on Common Sense Media. Oh, with excellent. a parent review, not a child. Not review. a parent because okay. no child, no child watches this movie. Apparently, more children it's too should old watch for them. Movie. They don't watch movies from 1984. Oh, it's older right. than they are. Well, that's why they've actually set Wonder Woman two in 1984 to remind <laughs> kids how great 1984 was. Isn't that what that's, that's supposed right. to do? Do you? Why don't oh, you? I wonder if they're going to go to the theater to watch this in the they, movie in the mall. Uh, I wonder if Steve. I wonder if that's how Steve. This is us talking. <laughs> we've only seen the trailer. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if Steve is actually inside Wonder Woman and and yeah. she is projecting him out, much like Steve Martin does here with the mirrors. Do you know what? That's exactly it. And all they do is go around museums and look at trash cans. Oh, I love it. It's it. He is, yeah. It really is the remake of All of Me. He's a force Steve. <laughs> it's a force Steve. Uh, okay. All right. What do you got? You want me to go high first? All right. Yeah. I got a four star by uh, Andre Yutza. Who says, I cried. I laughed. I'm still thinking. <laughs> that was brilliant. I think that people who are not members of the community miss that live stream bit of genius, which is just your face as you do this better every week, putting that on a t shirt. Right. And I will say uh, that Andre Yutza also said, This is appropriate for children under the age or over the age of 10, 10 and up. 10 and up. All right. Well, I have a one star from Porsche who says one star. Ooh. It is another boring movie that promised everything and delivered tedium. Good actors totally wasted on a terrible script. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was, I've been practicing. Your, your Werner is getting a little better. My Werner is getting better. <laughs> it's getting better. I'm going to continue to practice until I nail it, Andy. Nail it. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I've been watching I've been watching documentaries of him <laughs> talking about depressed penguins. I was going to say, the point, the point you get somebody reviewing and com- bringing up depressed penguins, yeah. you will have it oh, perfect. I will it have arrived. So yes. Thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022... We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> 